Today's guest of our special episode loves cities. Uh, he's a developer and owner, president of Usler Development Inc. But first and foremost, he's an urbanist with a vision. Uh, we'll get into that. But Craig, welcome. Can you tell me why you love cities so much? Well, it's something I uh, that's just in my blood. Um, I've got very specific memories of the first uh, couple of times I traveled to New York City and some other um, major destinations with my mom. Sure. And I, I wasn't the guy growing up that, you know, liked the mall and didn't like downtown. I just always liked downtown. I From the any day I can remember, I can remember walking around downtown Orlando and other urban areas, and I can remember going to see my grandfather in his office downtown, and I can remember the the, the iconic shopping that was in downtown Orlando. I remember the whole Church Street thing and the evolution of all that. Lake Eola had a lot of childhood memories. I grew up in College Park, so I was very influenced by a main street and that type of urban form. So I just always um, thought that organizing a community in that fashion made sense and seems so much more convenient and rational and logical. And then I've always been a small business guy and, you know, had great relationships with small businesses growing up. And that obviously flourishes in a more urban type environment versus a suburban environment. So I'm, I'm just really influenced by my life experiences. But this wasn't something that I, you know, thought one way about and then read some book or had some epiphany. I mean, I've been wired this way my whole life. And I mean, I, the first time I was with my mother and got plopped down in the middle of New York City in Times Square, I was like, this is amazing. Right. And that and that energy and um, the diversity and just sort of the intellectual stimulation that city life provides um, to me is is what makes the world go round. I mean, it's the it's just this collection of of great cities, and so that just always made sense to me. And um, and in some ways, um, the you know the commitment to downtown Orlando is really based on that because I I, I feel like um, I remember some of sort of the previous things that were really important downtown and really influenced like, me as a young person, like Church Street and like going down there to buy my first suit at Rutland's or things like that, like and the, hearing my mom talk about going to the department stores downtown and also I realize downtown it isn't about shopping anymore, but I, but I do firmly believe it's still the heart of a community and there's a lot of pride in downtown that was then lost and, and, and I was influenced by Mayor Frederick growing up and Mayor Hood and, and now um, obviously Mayor Dyer who put a lot of focus on downtown. And so um, I just really, uh, you know, I just I was just raised to care about Orlando and, and, and know that my hometown was important. So you you see that a lot with uh, dynastic Central Florida families is like this, this care and love right. of your local environment. So your grandfather, Frank Usler, was a citrus guy in Apopka. So right? the uh, Usler family in Apopka was foliage. So um, the Usler family, Usler Brothers Nursery was the first um uh, fernery and indoor foliage um, operation in Apopka. So they sort of founded the indoor foliage business in Apopka and Apopka became the indoor foliage capital of the world. And um, and so that was the on the on Usher side, my dad's side. And then my, my mom's side, the Shikon side, is the is Citrus family in Winter Garden. Okay. So we really have, in the early 1900s, both of those families coming here for agricultural reasons, um, one in Apopka and one in Winter Garden. And and you're exactly right. The the What you see in Orlando um, is this legacy of agricultural families, which then by definition kind of become real estate families because they had a lot of land that was being used for agriculture and ultimately agriculture isn't the highest best use anymore and a lot of this land gets redeveloped for other reasons. So many, many, many of the families that you see in Orlando, the names that you recognize, old citrus and old agriculture families, they've become real estate families because they had a lot of real estate that ultimately got used for home development or whatever else. But I have seen a real commitment uh, on a lot of the, what I call legacy families that are here uh, to sort of stay involved. I've appreciated that. Um, and so we're, you know, we're just one of many, uh, but I, but I do feel a, a, a sense of responsibility to do that. That was, that was important to both sides of our family. Both sides of our family have always been politically and civically and community involved. And so I feel a responsibility to carry that on. What did your father do? He was in commercial real estate. Yeah, my dad is in commercial real estate also. And so um, I came up in the, you know, he doesn't do what I do. He's not a developer, uh, urban developer on the scale that I am, but he's certainly in the real estate and the commercial real estate business. And he's a real people guy. Um, the uh, That influenced me too um, growing up. I mean, uh, the real estate business pre-internet and everything, as you can imagine, was a, was a networking and relationship and a personal 
type of business. And I witnessed that firsthand as a kid and we'd be in the car riding around looking at properties and we would be touring people and there'd be, you know, guys that you would know and you would go out to lunch with them. And and it was, that, that's, that's the days of, you know, there was a handshake deal and all that stuff. And so I saw all that firsthand and that, that, um, that mattered to me. And I, and it made me see the ups and the downs of the business too. You know, the, the boom times and some really good times and then some times that were more challenging. So I think that, um, interest, you know, framed my interest a little bit. And then my dad too is also, um, someone who, uh, really, I, I've, I worked, um, I started working in for a home renovator guy when I was 14 years old and I did, I've had a wide variety of experience in the real estate business. Okay. Uh, and my dad was one of those guys that was, you know, you go to work when you're very young and you keep, <laughs> and you keep working kind of thing. And I didn't start working with him on projects till much later in my career. So I sort of went and did my own thing. But you started small. You started with yeah. the home renovations. Yeah. So when I really got in the development business, I had, I'd worked for some big companies on the real estate services side, doing appraisal and asset management and that kind of stuff. But, um, I, uh, in the early nineties, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I took the route of, you know, what, what's on TV now, but I mean, you buy a house right, and you fix it up and you hopefully sell it for more than you bought it for. I mean, this is not that complicated, <laughs> but uh, so yeah. And, Some and, people would disagree. Yeah. yeah right, right. But, and, and, but even that thinking was, okay, I anticipate that what I've seen happen in Virginia Highlands in Atlanta or in Hyde Park in Tampa is going to happen in Thornton Park or in the Lake Yola district downtown. It's which at that same, point, which at that point was not good, right? right. It was, was not really the, uh, a hot area, but good streets, you know, brick street, street grid, Lake Yola, oak trees, craftsman bungalows. Um, so to me, I'm thinking I've kind of seen this work in other cities and, and, the, and the entry point then, I mean, you can buy, houses and and do rehab and whatnot that you're not talking about um you know outsized financial commitment so yeah that's how it all started um i, w- I was working in college park and delaney park in downtown thornton park lake yola colonial town and um there was a group of six or eight or ten of us that were that, that's what we did we, we we bought first bought and rehabbed houses then built new houses then we started building some duplexes then we start building some fourplexes i mean real estate development kind of right. graduates as you get better at it. but that's exactly how i got started and um and learned the business you know from every angle so what i do today is the same it just has more zeros behind it but it's the same um it's the same process you're still involved soup to nuts and everything that has to do with with the property when did Phil Rampy come into play? Phil and I met each other uh, in the early 1990s, um, and we knew of each other. As I was, as I said, you know, there was a group of six, eight, ten of us, and he was one of the most prominent that were running around doing this. And um, we had a lot of mutual friends, and sometimes we'd be literally renovating houses two doors down from each other, or whatever. So we knew each other, but it really wasn't until he started had he really had the original vision of of Thornton Park and that neighborhood, and deserves all the credit for being the creative mind and energy behind that in the beginning all i really did was use a different skill set which is a, a financial and, a, and an analysis and a, and a business kind of um background that you need the the merging in real estate of the creative side right. and the business side coming together so he had a lot of great ideas he wanted to take thornton park kind of the next level this is when he started having bigger visions for for dexter's and washington street and a lot of that and he started thinking about Thornton Park Central and what something like that and all the condos and apartments that you see now. So we met, we were introduced by Susan Morris um, and we met in the early 1990s and started talking about uh, working together and ended up working on many, many, many projects together over uh, uh, several decades. Uh, residential mostly, but then also some commercial and mixed use stuff. And um, and again, that was, a, as I said, the key to that par- partnership and relationship really was a complementary skill set. Um, Phil knew how to sell great great salesman you know great vision great creative guy great energy old town brokers was this established brand right. in the neighborhood that was very powerful and I was sort of able to be the I'm able to bolt onto that and bring project management expertise development expertise um, you know sort of investment analysis all, all the maybe the boring business stuff that you need to cut and go with some of that creative energy but you actually went to school for that yeah yeah right so you have a master's in uh real estate and urban analysis yeah which what is that that just means you can find the deals that- <laughs> well so yeah so my academic background ended up being you know i didn't maybe necessarily know it at the time it ended up being exactly what i do for a living so i uh, have an undergraduate degree in urban economics which is a liberal arts degree and i was 
I'm tremendously sort of passionate about liberal arts and that, and the education that provides you. Know, I'm a minor in business administration, and then uh, yeah, you go to graduate schools. I have a master's of, of uh, real estate and urban analysis. So um, it the ma a master's of real estate is you you'd hope it was more about urban analysis. It's really not. Um, when you get a master's of urban real estate, uh, master's of real estate, you have a whole entire class on real estate finance, a whole entire class on real estate appraisal, a whole class on real estate property management, a whole class on real estate construction, a whole class on budgeting, a whole class on pro formas, a whole, cl a whole class on modeling, a whole class on asset disposition. So it's all the technical pieces of evaluating real estate projects, mostly on the math and investment side. About, about what it really takes to get deals done. It sounds like you were hanging out with these people and then like you, you just kind of man, you, you figured that out. Like not many people will go to school and actually get the degree that That's they right. need That's right. to do what they want to do. Right. Clearly it worked for mm -hmm. you because you're yeah. in it. Uh, currently you're owning like multiple properties. Mm -hmm. in town. Let's talk about some of the projects that you have done that are shaping mm -hmm. downtown Orlando. So there's the 800 North orange where we are right now. Uh, -huh. uh which do you call on this with your dad? Was this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Dad and I developed this building. Was it the first big building that you guys did? Together? No, we had done several other buildings together. He worked on the GAI building with me on the 801 North orange building uh, with me. And we had done, uh, we've done dozens of, of retail uh, build to suit buildings over the years. So we had done many projects together. Uh, residence in by Marriott, yep. mm -hmm. just across the street, the uh, Ivy residences at mm -hmm. Health Village. Yeah, we did that with Wood Partners at Health Village. Right? Which I want to talk about a little bit mm -hmm. further down the line about the things that you're doing over there at Health Village. Uh, EA Office, mm -hmm. which is coming up. But let's talk more about Creative Village. Uh huh. What were you thinking, man? Where the, it just out of not yeah, out so of Yeah, so Creative Village is an interesting um, – <laughs> Creative Village is, is actually has a, a – there's, there's two fundamental things that drove Creative Village. And obviously, Creative Village is, a, is something that I get credit for. I mean, it's a team, and it takes, you know, yes. it takes a village to build that village. You've assembled but, it. But I, but, I mean, I am the one that, can, as you said, connected the dots. I mean, essentially, that's what I do. I hopefully have a good a skill set where I can take uh, some things that are strong in one certain area, and I can tie all it together and weave that together in the way that it works. And that's really my role. My preliminary role at Creative Village was to come up with a way to connect those dots and make it work. But it was driven by two fundamental ideas. Somebody says, why'd you do that? So one was a time back to the old Orlando thing. The, what's happened on the west side has always bothered me since I was a little kid. I wrote a paper in junior high school about why, why in the world did we put Interstate 4 where we put it and, and bifurcated the good side and the bad side of downtown. And what was happening on the west side was not fair. Redlining. And yeah, exactly. And it was discriminatory and all that stuff. So I just as an urban planner and an urbanist, that has bothered me that we could not do better on the west side. And I saw Creative Village as a chance to potentially do better, to use my skill set, my toolkit as a real estate developer, but really to work on a community project. And Creative Village is a community project, not just a real estate project. So that was, that was just a chip on my shoulder about that. And this was my opportunity to use um, the experience I had gained and hopefully the credibility I'd created over 20-something years of doing this to do a big project like that. So that was one thing. And the other thing was in Thornton Park, one thing that, um, that I would say and, and Phil Rampey would say and a lot of us would say that did work there. So we did such a good job in Thornton Park, we, we ran out of stuff to do. We created a great neighborhood for other people who came in and built high-rises and did other things. And we didn't have enough land control over a big enough piece of the pie to really benefit. Right. If you think about the amount of, we always joke, I mean, how many condos did Hugh Restaurant sell? <laughs> I mean, it's like, the, you know, the, we, we go do these things that really benefit a bunch of other things. So that was the attraction of Creative Village. Even though it looked like a, a real heavy lift in the beginning, ultimately the control of 68 acres that, that I knew it was gonna take years and years and years of work on the front end to be rewarded on the back end. Ultimately, if I was able to obtain that reward, I had a lot of development in the pipeline that I could control and that I would be able to sort of do for, for decades, really. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you don't have that control over a, 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 over a master development, you're always sort of beholden to the next project you can go figure out how to buy so-and-so site or so-and-so site. And, and as you see from the stuff you write up on, your, on, on Bungalow, or I mean, some guys start coming in with these crazy ideas of high rises and all this stuff. And, and it, it's not, it ends up being almost inconsistent with what you had thought of for the neighborhood. And you kind of feel like you did all the work you did. And the people that are doing the future projects don't see things the way you did. So that just got very frustrating. So the reason I focused on creative village and health village for the 
last eight or 10 years as we came out of the recession was because I was ultimately seeking projects where I could have long-term control over multiple projects that could really keep our pipeline active. And I felt like then I could be a beneficiary of all the hard upfront work and the vision that we set. But do you think it also helps? I think at the core, your intention, your original intention to uh, try to shake off whatever those burdens, those chains were for mm-hmm. the west side of Orlando. Do you think that's also part of this intention of, of just wanting to make sure that by having that much control over that larger parcel of land that you're just making sure that that intention stays true yes. through the future? Yes. Yeah, so what, one of the things I've struggled with is, um, so control tends to be, if you ask a lot of people, like a bad word. It's not a bad word. I mean, the way you get the way you get a quality outcome, the way that, Par- if, if, the way that you make Paramore be better and we can call that gentrification if you want, but I would think we all agree the status quo is not okay. So the way you move the needle on some stuff like that is you have to control it. I mean, you, there has to be enough of a, of a mechanism to where you go do development. Gentrification's way worse if it's haphazard, right? So I, I, I actually refer to bad gentrification and good gentrification, but bad gentrification is where there's 25 different developers running around with no coordinated plan and they just start popping in a bunch of new housing right. or McMansions or whatever that are all unaffordable and there's no master plan. The opposite of that, what I call good gentrification, is when there's a master plan that does in fact include public education and affordable housing and parks and transportation and which everything. Which Paramore has the pathways to the future plan, That's right. which you were a part of, right? Yeah, so we, f- we feel like with the pathways to Paramore planning, and we sourced some grants and stuff to help fund that, and then all the planning that we've done on the west side, and it's not just at Creative Village, there's plans, as you know, for Orlando SED and, and Lyft and Camping World Stadium and all that. Um, but I feel we've got a better chance because we've got three or four master planned initiatives that are impactful, and those master plans aren't just about real estate. Real estate's a component of them, but I don't make any money building Central Park at Creative Village. That's the most valuable parcel in the whole project, I have and a, yet we're I not going to build anything on it. <laughs> so in other words, you've, we're finding this balance, and that's much more satisfying to me. So what I'm doing is making a reasonable return as a real estate developer, not the same return I could make just running around building public shopping centers, but a reasonable return as a real estate developer coupled with making the community better. And so that's the ultimate goal for me. Um, you know, we certainly can't undertake these business ventures to lose money, no. but we do it in a way where we're sort of, as long as we can satisfy what we need to accomplish on the business side, we're happy that it results in some other things that aren't totally driven just by making a profit. Well, let's talk more about, you were t- You just said making the community better. So mm-hmm. you are a part of, man, like, I don't even know how you do this. You're a part of how many local organizations how many boards are you on you're on you used to be on the board of zoning and the dop yeah downtown orlando Mm -hmm. partnership are you still involved with leadership orlando no Um, so the boards i'm on right now are urban think foundation and the dr phillips center for the performing arts and um, you're getting married at later yeah and and i'm getting married in in (laughs) august so that's my other my uh, taking a lot of time um but really charlotte's doing all the work for that (laughs) (laughs) but but it's been fun to work on it with her uh so um and i still believe ultimately um i think that type of civic service and being on boards and being involved in what um different charities and organizations are building is really fun in some ways that's the funnest part of my job the um since creative village has gotten busy we've had to bat both brooke and i on my team have had to back off a little bit on what we've been able to serve on sure because we're just so busy right now with the 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 actual construction of buildings so this is a good thing but as we sort of get into a more mature cycle with creative village i will sort of recalibrate and get back involved with some of the organizations i've been involved well with let's previously. talk a little bit about urban think foundation because mm-hmm. i don't think it gets as much public love as right. it deserves which i actually used to work for them mm-hmm. right and used mm-hmm. to be on our on the mm-hmm. board i remember yep. having mm-hmm. to present to you guys right. back in the day uh what is the urban think foundation so urban think foundation really came out of urban think bookstore and we did Urban Think Bookstore in 2001 uh, as a commu- as an independent bookstore, community bookstore. Um, and the idea there was, um, you know, we're studying downtowns all over the country and we're seeing the power that community spaces have. And we thought the answer to that was independent bookstore. And we, um, so we go down that road, um, obviously retail changes but the bookstore business changes whatnot um and then some other people come along uh, places like credo and whatnot come along and sort of show you what community space you know kind of is so we attempt to pivot um there and we make urban 
Think Bookstore into Urban Rethink, um, and, and we form this foundation. And the idea is we take the original idea of the bookstore as a community space, and then we ultimately come up with a charitable foundation that can fund community programs and initiatives, and maybe offer a space for entrepreneurs or for community-minded people. And uh, I know you, you get credit for saying this, but it's true. So that was the first co-working space in Orlando. Uh, many years ago before everybody kind of got the memo. So we we're just ahead of our time. Yeah. In that regard. <laughs> we were so ahead of our time yeah. that I was never allowed to say co-working space. Yeah, right. Ever. We didn't <laughs> even know. It. But so the, the part that stuck and the part that has mattered and has been as factual has been Urban Think Foundation. And and obviously Julia Young deserves all the credit for that. You know, Julia comes to uh, comes to me. We both went to Edgewater High School. We we knew of each other. She says, man, I, I've got this this program uh, page 15 and, and whatnot in kids and children's literacy. And it, it makes sense because you had a bookstore and you obviously are uh, into um, sort of reading and books and the literary scene and all that stuff. And I'd like to sort of put these two together and it'd be really powerful. And, um, and I liked her and I liked the idea. And, and then that, you know, has also evolved into to Ryan and Burrow Press, which I also think is, a, is, a, is a, just a treasure. Our local independent publisher. Yeah, local independent publisher. And so anyway, the, the Urban Think Foundation is sort of this umbrella 501c3, but it's two main programs are Page 15 and, and Burrow Press. And, um, and they have now been around for a long time and do, do really, really well. And we're, we're, we're happy that that really is the end result. Um, it, it, if you have to do something like, close the bookstore because that business model doesn't work then the good that can come out of that is something like urban think foundation and so now that you fast forward to where we are that's a much better result the impact that that's had on a bunch of kids lives and on the and on the literary scene has been way more impactful than any bookstore ever the homework room over the paramore yeah kids yeah and the homework room and the paramore kid zone been very impactful and the summer camp writing camp program uh is just one of the neatest things you can ever go visit and these kids writing and illustrating their own stories and stuff. It's very powerful. And, and I, and, um, I, uh, uh, I just, I, I was, as Paramore became this, you know, neighborhood that I'm thinking about doing creative village in there, there, there's the, I sort of think about like hardware and software. There's the hardware of, of, of building buildings. Right. And that matters. I mean, you know, the, the, the sticks and bricks of building an apartment building or whatever matter. But it really, it really, Julia has shown me the light in the sense that, you know, being able to, to change the educational trajectory of someone in Paramore um, really is, is what moves the needle. The, the real estate is just a facilitator of that. But ultimately, the programs like that she's doing and everything that happens at the, at the A school and the Boys and Girls Club there, and the, uh, we've been a significant funder of the Second Harvest Food Bank um, uh, food pantry at the A school. And so that, that, that's the stuff that matters. And so it's been neat that I can balance those two. Well, things. you're also the creative village is also part of what are they calling it? The cradle to. Yeah. So cradle to grave education um, thing is, is really one of the most powerful um, economic development tools that you can wrap your mind around. And so it it's, and it, this has evolved over time and, and I've been much, my, my thinking has evolved on it, but the, the, aspirational ideas you can be born a decade ago if you were born in paramore you were born into really one of the worst um public education situations you're being bused to a bunch of different schools and you can't really see success and you, you don't really have the resources wrapped around that you need to be successful so now you know i would argue in, in in within even today but certainly within a couple more years you're going to be born into the most robust and opportunistic uh, public education ecosystem in, in all of Central Florida, starting at pre-kindergarten with what Rosen funds at the A school and running all the way through PhD level courses at UCF and Valencia, all in public institutions, where so where the, the cost is low and the access and everything works. Um, and while I am a, a huge proponent of also trying to address affordable housing and things like that on the supply side, I am fundamentally convinced that the quickest way to move the needle is through access to education. I mean, the, the way to the way to essentially um, change uh, what we have in Florida in, in Orlando with this, you know, sort of the income disparity and, and the inability to afford housing and a bunch of things is to is through educational attainment and to, and to create a pathway to a better job and a better income. So it's interesting to see like p just private property acquisitions in, in Paramore. You don't see many people. Uh, you don't see many white people downtown mm -hmm. wanting to live in Paramore. That's right. Uh, even though it's right next to downtown, mm -hmm. it is downtown. Mm -hmm. 
and but the people would still rather pay more money and to right. live in Thornton Park or mm-hmm. Delaney. Uh, do you see that changing in the near future? I do, and I think I think Paramore will become much more diverse. And I think um, if we if we do what we're supposed to do at Creative Village and the students, we have seven thousand students at UCF and Valencia right now. If they have a good experience, um, which they are having, and they want to stay and live downtown, I think they'll be very open minded about the West Side. And I think as we build more projects on the West Side that are um, that are that are well-designed projects as we get things like the park done, as we get some restaurants open over there that people really like. Um, I think that'll move the needle a bit as some more stuff happens by the magic and by the soccer stadium, that'll move the needle a bit. Some of it's just, we need a little bit more to happen over there, but part of it is just if you went to school there and all, like you and I don't think about, you and I think there's a difference between the west side and the east side because we were influenced by what we learned over the past 10 or 20 years. Right. right now, if you go to, if you live at Union West and in this brand new, but you, you wouldn't blink twice at moving into the apartment right next door and living on the West side in the future. So I just think generationally, as we go through this, there'll be much, there won't be the bias that's sort of built in, but then, um, I think that's the, that's the good side. Uh, what gives me pause is that we're refortifying the great wall of China. I mean, the, you know, what we're spending on, Interstate four to make it bigger and wider and and not better, but supposedly better is a joke. And so investing the billions and billions and billions of dollars in that is um, maybe good for a transportation engineer that looks at regional mobility for trucks and tourists, but it's bad for downtown neighborhoods and it creates a divide and crossing that divide has always been an issue right anyway. And so the bigger and more fortified that divide is, I get worried that that, uh, still functions as a barrier. Before I met you, when, when I was doing urban planning at uh, Rollins College, I did a one of my senior projects was about uh, signs, basically I four and that interaction mm-hmm. between Paramore and downtown. And just walking from downtown into Paramore, you're literally confronted with multiple signs, basically telling you to go no to further. Not go. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting that you brought that up. Do you think the under eye park projects? Uh, it's kind of being touted as like a new membrane mm-hmm. that's going to help people cross yes. back and forth. Yes. What do you think? I think it's that? a good idea. And I think there's a lot of design work to do on under eye, but I think that's the right idea. So the places that have done, this can be done. Um, and it's happened in, um, in, um, some cities, uh, they've been, they've been able to get very creative about how to treat the space under their interstates. San Francisco was kind of one of the first ones to do it, but there's now Miami's working on what they call the underline instead of the highline. Right. There, there's a there's a there's an example, and you can do some of this through graffiti art and whatnot. So I think it's a combination of that and then something like Under Eye, where you do a real quality public space there um, that's uh, has a, a lot of different activities for people to do. And so yeah, I do think that's important. I think that was astute on the city's part to realize they can essentially take what was a parking lot underneath the interstate and make that into a park and try to connect the east and west sides. And some of it is just um, we will benefit, um, I think, from the way technology is going. So, you know, you and I used to urbanists kind of walk, walk po- wax poetic about walkability. Um, you know, now I sort of say we should be waxing poetic about scooterability or something. But the because, I mean, the way that we the way that you get around now is not exactly the same way has expanded a little bit. The, if you think about it like a catch basin, it kind of expands the catch basin. So I think because scooters aren't replacing driving, they're replacing walking. Right. I agree. And so so now you used to always talk about walkability. So that's why I always say scooterability. And so right. you're talking about walk score. You should be thinking about scooter score. But um, the because that's how and, and I think that's good news for Orlando because still geographically we need to connect the, the north end, which is really Health Village and Florida Hospital and, and the south end, which is going to be the Pulse Memorial and Orlando Health and Soto and all that. So I think scooters are good news for that. And I think the urban trail is good news for that. And I think a lot of the stuff that Billy Hathaway is working on with two way streets and all this because Orlando, he's got to get that done before he leaves. Yeah, in two years. But you got to get walkability <laughs> done in context. So um, although you and I would prefer that we become, you know, Portland, Oregon in the next five or 10 years, I don't think we're going to be just because of our geographic layout. No, we could just become future Orlando. Yeah. So we just yeah. need to be the best version of our future selves that we can be. And I think, I think the more mobility options we have, and I think scooters are especially helpful for Creative Village in the West Side because it's a little bit far of a walk from Creative Village to whatever, or it's a little bit far of a walk from the North Quarter if you live at Creative Village. But I think the scooter thing connects all that. And they're putting in new pathways and yeah. things to connect, yeah. right? That'll be, but uh-huh. that can't happen until I four gets finished, right? Uh, let's talk about 
Health Village. Health Village, Because right. you're also, while yeah. Creative Village is happening, uh-huh. you're right. We're also... Right, on Health Village, right? <laughs> what does that mean? Because I so, know their yeah, campus is Health Village is, about- is a little bit of a different, um, different uh, kind of approach, but same, same theory. Health Village is a large master plan development. Um, Advent Health is the master developer. Um, but we essentially act as a consultant to them, and then we develop all the multifamily residential projects at Health Village. And so this was based on... Um, it's a great gig. It's a good gig. This is based on um, Jane Jacobs' planning theory. I mean, literally, my presentation to the hospital many years ago, I've got Death and Life of Great American Cities in my hand, and I'm quoting out of it, and I'm talking about how you are healthier and, and your health and wellness situation is better if you, if you walk. And it's not just about your physical fitness. It's about your spiritual and your emotional health. And this is what the hospital is into. They're into whole being and to whole health and wellness with those three prongs of it, right? And I talk about how all across the country there's this, there's this trend, urbanism as a health and wellness planning tool, right? And this idea that if we can take hospital districts and reinvent them as mixed-use districts that are centered on health and wellness but ultimately involve places to work and places to hang out and places to live and places to exercise, that can truly help the hospital fulfill its mission. So they believed what I said, and, and they picked us, and, uh, and it's been a very good partnership. And ultimately... Um, we are trying to help them advance Health Village to really be a physical manifestation of what their mission is. Advent Health has done a great job of, of advertising the heck out of the new name and convincing you about <laughs> being whole and feeling well and all that stuff. But yes. they now need to physically build their real estate to reflect the commitment to those values. So that's what we're trying to help them do. And uh, it's been a good partnership. I will tell you that at a very fundamental basis, we, we sometimes say the joke with Health Village, you can't have a village without people living there. So part of Health Village is you just need more people living there. They ultimately have 10,000 or so hospital employees, but most of them leave. And then so we need them to right, live there, there and stay there. And then we need to merge that experience with all the great stuff that's happening um, at Mills 50 and the yard and all that. So do you see that section of Ivanhoe becoming as dense as maybe South Eola? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think that's one of the interesting things that, that's happened that I like. It's been a little bit controversial. I like the density of the yard, and I like the density of Lake House. And um, part of everything you and I want, which is success for all these small businesses, and we want everybody on, on Mills 50 to do great, they need density, ultimately. I mean, it's this is not a, a made-up equation. You, you have to right. have people and density surrounding you for long-term success of your businesses. So, And um, Ivanhoe, it's interesting because those those main streets have been designated as uh, nodes, right? Nodes uh-huh. of activity. Right. So having higher density along those nodes uh-huh. makes sense. I like the density, and I like it's along SunRail. Um, you know, and, and listen, SunRail is what it is. It, it's, it, it, it's a route, and it moves. It's, it's not a zero, but it's a 0. 0.5. I mean, we're, we're, we're still <laughs> early under, in our infancy. It should but, be but, their new marketing campaign. But, but, the cor- but the corridor is the corridor, right? So, I mean, it's a transit corridor and ultimately can be served by more and better and different modes of transit. And um, so I like, I like that area at, in nodes of density. Yes, I, I do see that being more dense than we might have ever thought. And I think we'll, we will ultimately come back and say something like Mills Park is underdensified. I think we're ultimately going to be underwhelmed with surface parking and the fresh market and whatnot because that should have been a, a more that should have been more like the yard. It was pitched as that. It was, originally. and then ultimately recession sort of right. dictates what you get. So I yeah I, I'm I think that I, I it's a good analogy in the sense that I see uh, and I like just me architectural me I like density on lakes. Um, uh, on the uh, not right up against the lake, but on the other side, I like what happens around Lake Yola. I like the park to stay the park, so I don't like going inside the boundary. You know, but I like on the other side of the street. It's sort of like in Central Park in New York City. But I like framing the great public space with buildings. Sure, um, and that's certainly our theory at Creative Village Central Park also. So I hope that happens in Ivanhoe. Uh, okay, and nobody's going to fight you there. I have a random question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard the Orange County Regional History Center is mm-hmm. about to redo their Heritage Square, mm-hmm. and I understand that you mm-hmm. donated that mm-hmm. the alligator sculpture. sculpture. Mm-hmm. What have you heard anything? What'll happen with the alligator sculpture? So we're gonna keep, we're gonna <laughs> keep it. The uh, yeah. So the and the and the and the idea about re um, you know that's a that's a great public space by location, but it's not a great public space by design or how it's used. Right. Right. So we fully support this idea that um, not just that public space, but other public spaces in front of City Hall in Orlando needs to be, re- I mean, Lock Haven Park's got to be figured out. It, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's actually, it's hard to design a 
spot like Lockhaven Park that is used that little for a for an urban space. Um, so we've got to figure out um, the. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's actually you and I would have to try to make it be as underutilized as it is. Right. Um, so yes, we support. Um, we're going to keep the alligator sculpture that um, Bunk Baxter and the, and the history there of sort of old Florida is important. But the history center that's a that's a great opportunity. The the Heritage Square in front of that asset right in the middle of the town should be better and should be revisited so that we can make it better. I think it's going to have something to do. This is just conjecture, but they have the, they designated it as one of their rideshare hubs. I agree. Which seems to be finally I agree. taking hold. It'd be interesting. To see I agree. I think we need to make it a, um, what it was, it was designed by the original guy to mimic a cypress trees and a whatever in a, in a hangout in a quiet space. And it actually needs to become the opposite. It needs to be a center of activity and no one, you know, having someone just sort of, sort of lay down there and read a book. That's not, that's not the park for that. Uh, that's, yeah. that's now become the center of activity and you've been down there late at night. I mean, that is, that's sort of, you know, grand central station <laughs> in the middle of the night with all the traffic that's downtown and stuff. So I think that's part of what they're going to study. But you, you could actually argue and say that because he set it up to be a place of reflection and, and what, and now it houses mostly homeless people mm-hmm. during yeah. the day. Like you could say it's, it's a success. Yeah. Because- succeeded in that regard. Right? <laughs> yeah. But I, I think what you're, I think what you're speaking to really more is it, it's not, it's not really a good exercise to say whether it succeeded or failed. I think it has just become 2.0 is that it's become this center of activity and rideshare and, and and other modes of transit. It, it needs to be a scooter corral and all these things. I think that's the best use for it. Cause, just because geographically, it's so it's the middle of town. It's the heart, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and it should be treated as that. So, Craig, you're arguably one of the most prolific and, and uh, influential developers here in town right now. Uh, what sort of advice do you have for some of our listeners who want to get into the development game themselves maybe like small development or is there some yeah so that's my advice is start small so the idea of um i think one of the things that is tough when you look at what's going on i was i was i was joking with chuck whittle about this a a few months ago so people look at the bigness of some of the stuff that he and i work on now redeveloping fashion square and somebody's like oh my gosh i'd love to be involved in that but that just seems like that's big. Like that, just how in the world would I ever go get the education I need or work for whoever? So the, I got great news. You don't need to do that. You, <laughs> you can you can learn the development business um, by buying and renovating houses and then seeking opportunity. Um, you know, and you've seen this with national real estate and the way they've done it. I mean, you can do. You can Ryan Young has done this. You can learn and and start and go. And um, Adam Onus has done the same thing. You can you can. Start with houses and learn, and it's the same process, and then you can go find people. We're always looking for people that are young and enthusiastic and want to come and work on some of the small projects that we don't want to work on. Okay. And then you can all also uh, be mindful of that real estate development isn't only real estate. It's if you develop a business, whether you do that through a food truck or whether you're online and you want to go into bricks and mortar or whether you've got one or two successful locations and you're like Jason and Sue Chin and you say, Hey, I've got a couple of restaurants. I want to partner up with Craig to be able to grow my thing or whatever. That's real estate development because we're using the, the restaurants to grow. Reyes, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So we own Reyes with them. So that's the way to think about it. You don't have to just do real estate. You can do things that will be housed in real estate uh, and, and come, you know, talk to us or talk to other people about how we might work together. Do you see small scale development as uh, the next phase of your, of the development around creative village? Yes. Yeah, so ultimately, um, what matters is not what we do. Um, the, uh, the, the great cities that we all love that are the best cities in, in the United States and in Europe are it's because their small scale development is good. Um, it's not because they built the mammoth project that moved the needle. Um, right. it, rarely do those projects in and of themselves make a great city. It's all the stuff that happens in between the bigger buildings and it, that make the side streets and the alleys and everything good. And um, that's that becomes key to what we're going to work on on the west side, especially a smaller scale development that stitches it all together, and it allows a lot more people to participate in in being developers, and it provides for a greater level of diversity and affordability. And it still can all be done under a master plan or under an overlay type zoning district, but it ultimately becomes all those little buildings put together. Um, College Park struggles with this. Um, College Park, we, you know, we would all say is one of the greatest urban neighborhoods in Orlando, but it's got a, it's got a struggle going on between how does it facilitate bigger developers and McMansions and things like that and maintain the charm and the quality of life that's associated with smaller scale and independent developers. Sure. So that's a real key when you're looking at redeveloping the West side and how all that comes together. 
Can you give a shout out? We only a couple more questions. Can you give a shout out to some of the people who you think are doing it right in the scene right now? Right. Yeah. So that's, that's a part that, uh, you and I always talk about, but so one of the things in Orlando that we do a bad job of is, is we, we, we sometimes just say, I want this, I want that. I want, and nobody's doing a good job, but there's a lot of people that are doing a good job. Yes. A lot of people that are doing a good job and doing good things on the real estate side. I talked about Ryan Young, the phenomenal designer and developer does a great at Interstruct, mm-hmm. right? Adam Monas at Atrium Management um, has done a lot of quality projects and um, I like him. He does a, a really, really good job. I, I always talk about your protege a little bit. Yeah. He, he and I, I mentor him, I guess I don't like yeah. that. I don't like that word because it makes me sound <laughs> more important than I am, but, but, uh, but I like him. Um, I, I, I always uh, remind people um, Tim Baker and Baker Barrios started as a small firm. Uh, we were one of the first developers to use them in the early 2000s, Tim has built a very impressive practice and worked on a lot of important buildings. And um, whether you like on any architect, it's not about whether you like their style or not. You want architects of big buildings most of the time to live in your hometown because they care more. It's Except for something like the Performing Arts Center where something like Barton Myers, somebody like Barton Myers is committed to that being a legacy project. You want local architects that are doing a good job. So um, I love uh, what Baker Barrios has done. I also love uh, Hunt and Brady, really good uh, homegrown architecture firm that's done a good job and everything they're doing. They were teamed up with the Winter Park Library Architect. Did Mm-mm. I make that up? No, they no. were just they just won. They're part of like a larger. They're a part of a consortium. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And um, and so I think that that's good. I I talked about some of the um, I talked about I, I real obviously I really really respect what um what Lyft Orlando has done and that group an uh, impressive group of individu- individuals that have come. Excited about the packing district. I, I I tell people all the time. Listen, Dr. Phillips Charities does not have to do what they do. Dr. Phillips Charities could just sit on their money and do what a lot of old foundations, they do not have to be as actively involved as they are. I'm really impressed with the commitment they make to not only being charitable, but then taking their land and putting it into production. Uh, and so I really, I really like what they do. I've been doing a lot of great work lately with um, Mark Brewer at the Community Foundation and I've gotten to know him really well. A lot of the initiatives there uh, I'm impressed with um, uh, and some of the work that's going on around uh, affordable housing and, and all that I've, I've really liked. And um, I am impressed with, um, uh, I continue to be impressed with the, the food and the culinary scene in Orlando. So it's not just what we work on, but a, a, lot of, a lot of other people are doing a good job too. I think Orlando you know, has turned the corner on the culinary scene and we're really starting to get known for that. And so I really like the fact that we've had a lot of homegrown success stories on the on the food and beverage side that was our intent when we started you've always been really good at peppering in Mm -hmm. locally owned businesses. yeah we're really committed to that yeah and we think it ultimately um is the is the urban amenity that makes you know certain neighborhoods great so um i think we need to pat ourselves on the the back for that i think you do a great job i think katie at pulp town does a great job i think growth growth spotter is a great thing Mm -hmm. i think we have tremendous coverage and awareness of what goes on in our in-town neighborhoods in orlando you can talk to almost anybody and they read this stuff and they know what's going on. They have an opinion on the Princeton and College Park or the or, or the new library in Winter Park. That's all good that people have an opinion. I agree. And, and it's all good. So I, I like that. I think Orlando, we, we don't give ourselves enough credit for the fact that people care and they're involved and everything. And then we need to, um, you know, we can need to continue to, uh, to recognize that we've done a good job. One of the projects that um, uh, doesn't get uh, enough sort of credit um, is, uh, is the new, uh, Lincoln tower project. Um, the ability to, to do what Scott Staley and Lincoln properties did, which is build a brand new office building with a brand new hotel and get SunTrust to move over there, um, and have what's going to ultimately, you know, be an AC Marriott hotel, which is a really nice addition to it. That's an extremely hard project to pull off. Um, doing office in this environment is, is challenging and, and he deserves a lot, a lot of credit geographically as well. It's, yeah, it's that's a tough f- project. The he, footprint. He deserves a lot of credit for getting SunTrust and, and getting that done. And he's working on, you know, ultimately he's facing the same challenge and we're all facing. He's got to now fill in the quality of life pieces, the food hall and the other stuff, which is harder. Um, Chance deserves a ton of credit for getting the yard done. Um, that's a large scale project that not a lot of developers would have stuck with that. Uh, Chance and his group really do things the right way. Uh, old Orlando guy, Edgewater High School. Um, so uh, th- that's uh, he. De- he deserve they. They deserve he and his partners deserve credit uh, for that. That is not your run of the mill apartment project. 
right? I mean, that's a, right. that's pretty progressive design and everything. So you talk about quality of life pieces. You know, they're they're really looking down to concierge services for yeah. the people who live there. Mm-hmm. IV services if you drank too much. Yeah, one of the things before. that yeah, <laughs> one of the things that's interesting to me about the apartment market in Orlando being as good as it is, um, it's, it's one of the best apartment markets in the country, and it's it's pretty simple. It's just job growth and population growth, um, and that that's underscored by a bunch of stuff we've done downtown and the commitment the mayor's made and everything. But um, we have a lot of what I would refer to just as production apartments um, that are just you know they're okay. They it's sort of like building production housing. I mean, they're, they're sort of predictable. They kind of all look the same. They don't pay that much attention to their ground floor retail. They don't really care if it's leased or not. Yet those buildings are all still full. We have such strong demand that apartments are filling up almost irrespective of the commitment the developer has made to the total urban experience. And I think that's bad. Um, I'd rather there be a little bit more of a difference between the guy who, uh, guy or gal who tries real hard to lease his space or facilitate local businesses or do like what we're doing with Tonda at Love. I mean, people that are going to, going to put, Love Vermont yeah, put their own money behind developing and, and, and facilitating local tenants, I believe should win. Um, whereas we have some, we have some apartments that fill up, um, and stay full yet. None of the ground floor retails ever been paid attention to. So, um, that bothers me a little bit that we've, so I, I'm hoping we're moving towards what you were talking about with chance, a little bit of a model where, you got to continue to kind of do do things well uh, and be rewarded for that. I think we're similar in the sense, Craig, that uh, we live and breathe our jobs twenty four seven. So I just think it's funny when people ask me, "What do I do in in my spare time?" Yeah, this is it. I don't have any. So is this it for you? Yep. Is it, you're just always on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Charlotte and I both. So um, the, <laughs> you know, one of the the everybody always says, you know, the reason you get married, all the reasons are right. You find the person you, all that soulmate and all that stuff. But it's also, you know, you got, you have to have similar interests as that person. You cannot hang out, you know, with that person all the time. And so, yeah, this is what, (laughs) this is what we do all day, every day. So uh, it's on the weekend. It's not like we go do something else. I mean, it's always about Orlando and about real estate and about what we're working on. Charlotte's at Kimco. Yeah. Charlotte's at Kimco and she's in the business and she's an, an urbanist and loves cities and is very involved in the Soto um, main street and all that stuff. And so this is what we do on the weekends. We, it's just like you, we don't, we, we don't, we don't retreat to the suburbs or do something different no. or whatever. We, we go, um, we, we go to all the local businesses that we like and we hang out in college park and downtown and whatnot. And we're just here, but you have a retreat, right? You yeah. So we go to New York. Um, and that's, that's the way, that's the way to get away from it. You know, here, if, if you're physically here, you're on mm-hmm. and you can't, I can't go, uh, I can't be here and not go by Creative Village and see what's going on or go by Health Village. I'm just, I'm, that's, you know me well enough. That's my management style to want to know what's going on. So, I mean, I, if we're here, we're here. Sure. And we're going to be paying attention. Yeah. So the way you do it, you get away, um, get away from it. And the vast majority of our away time is spent in, uh, in New York City, which still is the, you know, the it's greatest. It's research. Yeah. It's the greatest urban laboratory in the country. <laughs> but, but it is, but it's, but it is, but it does not, you know, one of the things we do a Badge. It doesn't translate to Orlando all the time, right? I mean, you and I go see something really, really cool or, or in Europe or in New York City, and you come back and you say to yourself, why can't we have Italy? Because you can't. Because you, <laughs> you need 10 million people living on an island. I mean, you, you just need a certain density to drive some of the things that we see that work so well. So that's what's so interesting about visiting New York as often as I do is 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 distilling what are the good takeaways versus the stuff that's – you know, you'll go to a place like that and somebody will be in Bryant Park and they'll be like, oh my gosh, Bryant Park is so wonderful. And why can't we have an ice skating rink that's crowded? I mean, you're just like, that's what millions of people, you know, on that park get you versus that's not what we have. So it's a, it's a, it's a, and it's a reality check for me. If you ever think you matter in the world and you ever think you're good at your job or whatnot, you can just go walk around New York City for a few hours and realize you are a, you're a small ant in the, in, the, in the urban ant farm of what is Manhattan. But, I mean, it, it, does, it does really help me uh, kind of have a lot of perspective on what goes on because, I mean, sometimes, obviously, we, we live our job and I'm into everything I do and I think we're working on all these, you know, fantastic, important projects. Um, it, none of that, it, you know, it matters to us, you know. So, but I do try to keep my wits about me uh, and always under, be very self-aware sure. of how important or unimportant what we're working on is probably why you're doing well or, and smiling at mm-hmm. least through it. Uh, 
last question is there what do we need to keep an eye on you for what what are some projects something that you're working on right now that we need to pay attention to so the main thing that i'm excited about at creative village is um we did two of the most important things to do were to put the work and live learn work play um i don't think anybody understands the impact uh the creative impact and the intellectual impact of having EA Sports in downtown Orlando is going to be. This isn't just having 750 to 1,000 new people. It's having 750 to 1,000 new really smart people who design video games for a living. And this is what makes Seattle great, and this is what makes Austin, Texas great, and this is what makes San Francisco great. It's not just about density. I always say it's about how density behaves, and it's about how that density is, you know, who those people are. It's not just having them but it's who they are so it's not just the numbers that are going to be impressive about ea but it's going to be the intellectual capital that they bring and the um thought provoking things that will spin off from that so what we're really really excited about potentially is what everybody calls the amazon effect but it's what happens in seattle when you get amazon downtown and you get all these spin-off things so that i'm super excited about and we're working on a lot of initiatives with the tech community with ucf and all that aren't just about ea but they're about how does EA impact the West Side? How does it diverse its work, diversify its workforce, African-American, um, women, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, obviously, so that that's exciting. That Thad Seymour and I have really, really good ideas on how to do that, and so I think that's gonna be fun. And then the second thing is um, the, the park at Creative Village. We, we uh, certainly lack, uh, outside of Lake Eola, great, you know, urban public spaces in downtown Orlando, and we are really excited to get a two and a half acre park uh, at Creative Village that we hope can become the center of community and social and public life. And this is the gift to Orlando. You you may never work at EA and you may never get educated at UCF and you may, may never live in an apartment at the Julian, but you can always come to the Central Park and it is on the best and most valuable piece of real estate at Creative Village. And we're really excited about the design. We worked hand in hand with... Um, VHB, another firm that does a great job, um, and I uh, think we've come up with a really, really neat uh, design that everybody will like, and so I'm really anxious. We're within a month or two of getting started on construction there, and it'll be done next year, and I'm really excited to see how the community responds to that. And you're going to have somebody in charge of programming for that. That's right. Uh, one of the things that you and I talk about all the time is um, the missing piece in Orlando still and you and some other people have tried to help here, is not building the real estate. That's happening. So building the place is one thing, but managing the place is a different thing. Managing and programming the place is as important or more important than building a good place. And they are different. Yes. Real estate developers are not place managers and program managers. You see this in Lake Nona. And you, you can throw all the money you want at all the cool gadgets, but you ultimately have to manage the place. And Boxy Park ends up, Eureka, we needed to actually manage a cool place that people want to show up for. It didn't matter how many big buildings or hospitals or whatever we built. We didn't have any place until we place managed yes. what was going on, right? So, yes, we are going to intensely place manage and program the Central Park at Creative Village. And we're going to do that in concert with UCF and Valencia, which is really neat because they have actually have degrees in hospitality management and whatnot. <laughs> and it also gives you a built-in audience. So one of the smartest things you can do if you're programming is um, include the 7,000-something students that are going to school down there. Craig, thank you so much for your time. Thank it's, you. I know how busy you are. Uh, super valued. Thank you for everything that you've done for Orlando. Thank you. I'm I appreciate it. Fans. You too. And uh, thank you again. Thanks.